Psalm 2, our psalm for today, begins this way. And this should be up on the screens. Why are the nations in an uproar? Why do the peoples mutter empty threats? Why do the kings of the earth rise up in revolt and the princes plot together against the Lord and against his anointed? Let us break their yoke, they say. Let us cast off their bonds from us. You know, we wake up every morning to a busy world. It's a world full of arrogance and boasting, sometimes a violent and selfish world. And the psalmist begins with a picture of this world, this type of world. He looks out into the world and he sees all these powerful people, princes and kings, politicians, big corporations. They're making all these decisions and he feels powerless. And what, what decisions are they making? What are they talking about? What are they doing? Well, we're told in verse 2, it says they are plotting. They plot together. This word plot. Uh, it's interesting, Psalm 1 and 2, uh, we believe that they were written together to be read together. In fact, in a lot of ancient manuscripts, Psalm 1 and 2 were actually one psalm. But this word plot, it shows up in Psalm 1 as well. It's, it's the exact same word, but it's translated differently in Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, the word is translated as meditate. So Psalm 1 says the righteous man or woman meditates on the law of God. But here in Psalm 2, you have this whole other group of people and they are meditating, but they're meditating on something very different. They are meditating and plotting on how to get rid of God, on how to take over. Verse 3, they say this, Let us break their yoke and cast off their bonds from us. This is the yoke of God that they want to break. Uh, as we all know, a yoke is something you put on an animal to control it. And what these people hate is they hate the fact that they have a master. They hate the fact that they have a God. Jesus says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But these men and women, they, they do not want any yoke at all. They want to be their own masters, do whatever they want, and serve themselves and no one else. And so again, as the psalmist thinks about these powerful people seeking their own ends, he's afraid. He feels helpless and insignificant. He's intimidated. And, and more than that, he is filled with anxiety. Anxiety about himself and anxiety for the people he loves. So that's verses 1 through 3 of the psalm. But then we go to verse 4, which is a really interesting verse, fascinating verse. It says this, He whose throne is in heaven is laughing. The Lord has them in derision. So what we're told is that, that God looks at this problem. He sees all these people plotting against him. 
working against him. And what's his response? Well, he doesn't get angry. If I were God, I would, I would probably get angry. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get sad. He doesn't get resentful. No, what he does is he laughs. God's response to all this is laughter. Early in our marriage, Trish and I were traveling. Uh, this was a stage in our life when all of our friends uh, seemed, they were all getting married, so it seemed like every other weekend we were heading to another wedding. It was a really fun time of our life, but we were traveling a lot, and we were coming back from a wedding in the Northeast. Uh, we were living in Raleigh at the time, so we had flown up, uh, and as we were flying back, we had to make a connection in D.C. Uh, this was Sunday night. The first flight went well. We got to D.C. in plenty of time, made it to our gate, sat down, uh, started talking. We probably had books that we were reading. This was before the era of the smartphone, so I know that we were not on our phones. So we were talking and reading. Some time goes by when all of a sudden we look up and we realize that the gate is empty. It's empty. Nobody is there. I still don't know how this happened, but somehow we were so engrossed in what we were doing that we missed the announcement to board. We missed everyone getting up and getting on the plane. And by the time we realized what was going on, the gate was closed and the plane had left. So we're in this, this empty, empty gate. And, and again, it was Sunday night. This is the last flight back to Raleigh. And of course, we got to get back. We have work the next morning. So after we figure out what happened, we were obviously a little frustrated. Frustrated at the situation. Frustrated our, our lack of awareness. And as is common, when you're frustrated, you tend to get frustrated with the people near you. And so we said, well, how did, how did you miss that? Well, how did you miss this? <laughs> so we're going back and forth. And, and at some point, and I don't remember which one of us did this, uh, but one of us just started laughing, right? La laughing at the situation. In the, in the moment that the laughter in, entered in to the situation, it changed everything. Because what the laughter did is it, it put everything in perspective. And, and, and in that moment, we realized it was going to be okay. I mean, this was a, annoying that we missed the flight, but we could figure this out. And so, in fact, what we did is we went and we rented a car. We were much younger and had a lot more energy, no kids. Rented a car, and we drove home, and we were at work the next morning. But you see, laughter. Laughter has the ability to put things in perspective. And so when God laughs in this psalm, in verse 4, when he laughs, it is not a cruel laughter. No, he laughs because he simply doesn't take this threat seriously. I mean, we read the newspaper and we get worried. We, we read something online and we think, oh my God, what's happening? The world is falling apart. What can I do? But we read Psalm 2, and God just laughs. 
this just isn't that big of a deal. And you see, this, and this is why this verse is critical to the psalm, probably the most important verse, this is where the movement begins in the psalm, the shift. Because what's happening is the psalmist is realizing that the world of God is much bigger than the world of kings and princes, that God's world is bigger than what we read in the news, that God is in control. I came upon a quote uh, the other day, which I, which I really liked, but this is what the quote said. It said, the answer to deep anxiety is the deep adoration of God. The answer to deep anxiety is the deep adoration of God. You see, the psalmist, he is, he is filled with anxiety. And so he goes to God in prayer. Uh, remember, the psalms, they are, they are prayers. So he goes to God in prayers and what happens as he prays to God, there is this shift. His deep anxiety is replaced with the deep adoration of God. Not just admiration of God, not just appreciation of God, but adoration. Adoration is it's love, it's, it's worship, it's, it's devotion. It is tasting the goodness of God. And you see, this, this is what frees the psalmist of his fears. You know, Psalm 2, it, it is such a, a rich psalm because it doesn't just call us to adore God. The psalm also calls us to adore God's anointed one. Uh, the one that the psalmist calls God's Son, the Christ. Christ means the Anointed One. You see, this, this psalm, it calls us to adore Jesus, the Messiah. And if you read on in the psalm, and you've, you've got the psalm in your bulletin, but if you read on, you'll realize that the psalmist doesn't get everything right about the Christ who is promised. He makes some mistakes. He, he knows about the promise of the anointed one, this one who, who God will send uh, to make everything right. But he imagines uh, that the Christ will, will put everything right through violence, that, that the Christ will employ the same methods uh, that these kings and princes use for their own ends. In fact, look at verses 9 and 12. They're, they're on the screen. It says, you, he's talking about the anointed one, you shall crush them with an iron rod. Right? These are the people who are plotting against God. You shall crush them with an iron rod and shatter them like a piece of pottery. And now, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Submit to the Lord with fear and with trembling. Bow before him, lest he be angry and you perish. For his wrath is 
quickly kindled. So again, the psalmist sees, sees God's anointed one as, as a violent figure. And, and what he gets wrong is that he, he, he doesn't understand that this isn't how God works. He doesn't understand the, the truth of the cross. And we give him some grace here. But he doesn't understand that God doesn't overcome evil with evil. God overcomes evil with good. Right? God doesn't use violence to overcome violence. No, he overcomes violence with love. A, a suffering love. The love that we see on the cross. And so he makes this mistake and yet, and yet he still, he still rests in the adoration of the Christ. And you see, we are to do the same. We read in our, our gospel reading today, uh, Matthew's account of the transfiguration of Jesus. And in it, we're, give, we're given this vision of Jesus. Jesus is transfigured. Jesus is dazzling white. He is shining like the sun. And what we're supposed to do this morning, just like the psalm tells us, is we are to take this image of the anointed one and we are to rest in it. We're to bring our fears, our intimidation, our anxieties, the fact that we feel powerless in the face of, well, you name it, you know, the, the busyness of this world, uh, fears about our children, natural disasters around the world, a cancer diagnosis. We get on our knees with our anxieties and we are to remember the largeness of God. That, that God is working in the world. That He's working through His anointed one. And as we do that, what we will find is that we're able to shift from anxiety to adoration. You know, the truth is, all of us, we have different coping mechanisms for our anxiety. There's lots of different coping mechanisms. We've all got our, our ones we turn to. Uh, but we know that they don't always work that well, at least not for me. And sometimes they, they make things worse. And so as we enter the season of Lent, which begins on, on Wednesday, the, the question I have for us, and this is a question I'm asking myself too, is how might I, in this season of Lent, how might I adore Christ, the God who has come to, to make things right? What might that adoration look like in my life? To not, to not just admire Him, not just appreciate Him, but to truly adore Him. The answer to deep anxiety is the deep adoration of God. Amen.